In today's episode, we open our Bibles to a new book, 2 Samuel chapter 2 today. A clash of kings rocks the land as the war for the throne of Israel begins. In the south, David rises as the anointed king of Judah, while in the north, Ishbosheth, the ruthless son of the late King Saul, claims his father's throne. Their respective generals, Joab and Abner, lead their armies into a fierce and bloody battle, but who will prevail in this struggle for power and God's favor? We'll find out today. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Wednesday, June 14th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is made possible in part by a generous gift from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF translates and publishes and distributes Lutheran books and materials that are Bible-based and Christ-centered, Reformation-driven. Whether it's a catechism or a hymnal or a Bible storybook or a devotional, LHF provides these resources free of charge to pastors, missionaries, and laypeople who need them. To learn more about LHF and how you can partner with them in this vital mission work, visit their website at lhfmissions.org. That is lhfmissions.org. Well, this morning, as we turn to the second chapter of our new book series on 2 Samuel, which really is just a continuation of the first, let's be honest, I'm, I'm pleased to welcome my guest, the Reverend Dustin Beck. He's the pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Good morning, Pastor Beck, and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Good morning, Pastor Boo. How are you today? Oh, I am doing great, better than I deserve, and sitting down here and just continuing the whole saga of David and Saul. It's mm -hmm. a, it's a very exciting. You know, I've never really studied First and Second Samuel as deeply as I've been able to on this program, and so I'm just really excited about digging into Second Samuel in the coming weeks. Uh, today's a pretty good chapter too because, oh, yeah. well, it's, it has a lot of action in it, <laughs> and we right. we see we see. Uh, David, and finally ascending or moving more towards ascending to a united kingdom. Right, right. Things are coming together for David. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, and we're going to see that all play out today. Uh, well, anything uh, going on with you that's interesting lately that you want to share with the folks at home? Oh, lots of things. Yeah. Uh, we're in summertime <laughs> mode here at Holy Cross. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, this is kind of a time to regroup, uh, which I chose to uh, start a new Bible class on how to read the Bible, um, which we're going through. And uh, actually, I just came over from that. We started meeting today and we're having a lot of fun, uh, a lot of good questions uh, being asked. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Um, we're on break from uh, Faith High School right now, but I'm preparing to teach my uh, second time through the Old Testament next year. So that should be great. We've got uh, the kids going to different various summer camps and VBSs, and and uh, I'm going to the LWML uh, National Convention and then the Synodical Convention. So I'm going to be up in Milwaukee quite a bit uh, this summer. And, you know, we're just we're running around like crazy as usual. My goodness, that is a lot. I was going to say I'm... Uh... I'm building a planter box for my wife. That's about all I'm go. doing. <laughs> Those are important. No, too. actually, actually, uh, I'm taking a trip with uh, my church. Uh, actually, my circuit. We're headed to the Ark uh, Encounter and the Creation oh, Museum wow. and the Cincinnati Zoo. We're going to take a big trip down there, and then I'm going to go see some family in North Carolina. Yeah, so summer's a great time for that kind of it. stuff. 
And uh, summer is also a time in ancient history, or spring spilling into summer when kings will go to war, and that's where we're at now. Before we mm. dive into our text, though, would you uh, lead us in a word of prayer? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for this day that you have given to us, and we thank you that your word, uh, it bespeaks us righteous, uh, especially, Lord, when your word points us to Jesus. And that word, uh, whether it's David ascending uh, to uh, his kingship, uh, it always points us towards Jesus. So we pray that you would bless your word where it is proclaimed, uh, that it would uh, move from our ears into our hearts, uh, from our hearts out to our lips and from our lips into our lives so that we might be uh, confessors of Jesus Christ as Lord uh, and that we might be a blessing to our neighbors. We ask this in all things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In the last chapter, we were surprised, or I was surprised, and probably most of the people, that when David heard that Saul and his sons, including Jonathan, had died on the battlefield, that David lamented. It made sense for him to lament for Jonathan, but even for Saul, it just showed his high regard for the Lord's anointed, even though this is a guy who was constantly trying to kill him. And our yeah. passage yesterday ended with that very poetic lament. Um, anything else before we dive into this text that maybe you should use to set the stage for folks? Well, sure. I, I think that y you do well to point out David's lament for Saul and Jonathan, um, but that's really that gets to the heart of who David is. Uh, our listeners uh, remember as we went through 1 Samuel, uh, time and time again, even though David has already been anointed as the next king by Samuel, even though uh, David knows that the, the kingship is as good as his, and I think Saul knows that as well, um, Saul hated David. He was jealous of David. He, uh, I mean, did you keep count when you were studying 1 Samuel of how many times Saul tried to impale David with a spear? You, you, you almost have a hard time keeping count. And yeah, yet it's a every lot. Time, it was eight or nine at least. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that great? Uh, well, not great, but you know what I mean? Um, that God <laughs> protected him through Saul's uh, terrible aim there. We'll, we'll put it that way. Um, so each and every time that Saul is handed over into David's hands, right? Uh, when Saul goes to relieve himself in a cave and there David is lying in wait, he's actually hiding uh, but he refuses to stretch his hand out against the Lord's anointed. This really shows us uh, something of the character of who David is, uh, which, of course, we'll see in Second Samuel. David isn't always that guy. Uh, but um, we can see that David at least has that, that faith and that understanding of, of who God is and that Saul uh, is God's man for the job until he isn't. Um, and that's where we find ourselves today is um, David sort of first questioning. It is, is now the time, uh, all of that stuff that happened back before, is it time when all of that is supposed to, to kick in, I guess we could say. Um, and we get our answer, don't we? Absolutely. Basically, he's saying, will you now restore the king? Oh, wait a minute. No, that's, uh, that's a little later on with Jesus. <laughs> but David does inquire of Yahweh, which is you know, in David's nature, right? He wants to do according to God's will, and that's where right. we're going to start. Chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. After this, David inquired of Yahweh, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And Yahweh said to him, go up. David said, to which shall I go up? And he said, to Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. 
and David brought up his men who were with him, every one with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. When they told David it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by Yahweh because you showed this loyalty to Saul your lord and buried him. Now may Yahweh show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul your lord is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. All right, we'll pause right there at the end of verse 7. So essentially, you know, the king is dead. Long live the king. <laughs> and right. he is, uh, you know, talking to them. Uh, well, I guess that's the second part of the Jabesh Gilead. But before we even get there, let's talk about David is made king, but not over all of Israel. Right. So uh, David is made king first over his tribe of Judah. Um, and this is this is something that we kind of come to see um, in a couple of generations uh, when the kingdom is once again divided. We see that you know they're gonna they're they're reluctant to gather around um, you know the the other tribes guy and so here uh, David I love the the detail that um, that we're given after this David inquired of Yahweh so he's gonna go straight to straight to the Lord he's gonna inquire uh, through the priest uh, whether this is Urim or Enthumim kind of a situation I, I think that that's the way that this is intended to be understood so David goes he inquires of the Lord um, is it time for me to go up um, and to uh, to to be anointed again right so we got to keep this in mind as well that David has already been anointed but now it's the time for his coronation I think would be the way that we would probably describe this okay uh, so like you said I mean we, we had just recently you know uh, over in uh, the United Kingdom uh, we had um, what is it Charles the third I think I lose count of all the Charleses I think that's right Charles the uh, Charles the third is where we're at yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. The, so, in the United Kingdom so when Elizabeth uh, when she died, you know, he is now king, but there's a, there's a break between when he is king and when he is uh, coronated, when he is crowned. And so we see that just a little bit here. Um, maybe that's not the best analogy, uh, but now we have David going up to Hebron uh, where he's going to have his sort of his base of operations uh, for a good time. Uh, and so he goes up uh, and there uh, he is anointed by the men of Judah. Um, this is going to be you know, sort of his uh, his first step into a leadership role, um, and then it's going to just kind of progress on from there. Well, and I think that uh, example works pretty good, actually, because, you know, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, if you were to ask who's going to be the next king of England, you could have answered that question. You know, right. you would have known for the most part. Uh, I, I guess it changed a little bit when certain people come and go, but, you know, Charles, they knew for a long time, would be king once Queen Elizabeth died. And the yeah. people of Israel, they know, their enemies know, so certainly the people know that David has been anointed king. Uh, but but it's interesting because normally you have uh, sons, you know, and this is a little foreshadowing, but you mm -hmm. have sons who are looking to depose their father so that they can become king. That's That seems to be pretty common. Uh, but in this case, you really had David who respected the king constantly avoiding taking the king's life while the current king was so jealous of him right. that he was trying to kill him. It was a, a very reverse situation. 
but now he's king of Hebron, but that's not what God has elevated him or anointed him to. It's just, I suppose, the first step in moving towards a united kingdom. But this division in the kingdom, I don't know that it's actually foreshadowing, but we do know that the division comes back later, that the kingdom will be divided. Right, right. And I think that um, maybe just in terms of larger thematic kind of uh, points to be made, um, we see here, you know, why is uh, why is uh, Saul's son, Jonathan or Ishbosheth, why are why are they not the the long term solution? Why are they not to be the next king of Israel? I mean, Ishbosheth is but two years. It's not much. OK, um, that's because Saul's sin was so grievous. That's because mm-hmm. Saul's sin was was a breaking of the faith. He walked away um, from the Lord, and instead he, I mean, he he chased after uh, chased after idols. He chased after doing things his own way and not according to the Lord's command. And God takes those things seriously. So David is going to be different. He's not going to be the king that the people asked for, but he's going to be the king that the people needed. Whereas Saul, yeah. of course, was was taller than all of the other guys, and he was, you know, big and 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 bold and everything else. Um, but he was sort of a um, a stand-in for maybe we could even say this kind of the um, the kings of this world. Remember, Israel had begged God for a king, even though they already had Yahweh as their king. Now they they beg him for a king. They want to be like the rest of the nations, which is kind of in the in the fine print. They want to be able to wage war when they want to wage war. They want to expand their territory and their boundaries. They want to do all of this, that, and the other thing. Uh, and you just, you find with Saul, that's that's not the way that it's going to work out. Okay. So now David is going to be, this is going to be a new chapter because David is, is moving into the, into the spotlight, if you will. David's a pretty diplomatic guy too, and politically uh, very adept he reaches out to the men of Jabesh Gilead because they had shown such fealty to Saul. Uh, but if we remember, this is way back at the very last chapter of first Samuel, when Saul's body had been relieved of its head and his body had been hung on the walls of the city of Beth Shan, that's when the men in uh, Jabesh Gilead went and took them down burned it so that the bodies would be unrecognizable, couldn't be continued, couldn't be a continued source of shame, uh, and then buried them. And so David, I guess, uses that um, in a good way, right, to honor these people. But at the same time, he's also basically saying, I'm the king now, and you honored the last king. Um, I'm going to be good to you. Hint, hint, honor me. I, I think that's an important political move as much as anything else. Right, right. There, there are certainly times uh, in in the scriptures when we see um, the different uh, biblical figures uh, engaging in what we might just call, you know, good diplomacy. I, I, I think there we can we can glean from that. You know, Jesus Himself said that we should be um, uh, we should be shrewd like serpents, but innocent like doves. So maybe there's a little bit of that going on here. Uh, that, that David is uh, he's starting to uh, to make firm his uh, his rule. Uh, we're okay with that. <laughs> Yeah, sure, but it doesn't quite work out. I'm going to read verse 8 through 11. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. 
but the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. All right, pausing there. So, I, yeah, I do think that David's praise for the men of Jabesh was a, a sincere praise. But again, it certainly doesn't hurt in his goal to unify the kingdom. But, you know, Abner puts a stop to that. He blocks that whole strategy by putting Ishbosheth king over Israel at uh, Mahanaim. Mahanaim? I'm not sure how to pronounce that, actually. Yeah, that sounds um, good. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Mahanaim, I'm I'm told, actually, in my oh, ears. Wow. So there we go. That's Mahanaim. <laughs> but anyway, um, we uh, we have Ishbosheth though. But Ishbosheth is an interesting name. Um, oh yeah, well, well, yeah. yeah Wasn't his name originally Ishbaal? Yeah, which is probably even worse. <laughs> probably, um, you know, yeah. it's Ishbaal meaning man of the Lord in generic sense, but Baal right. obviously had that connotation to being the the male deity of the Canaanites and lots yeah, of other Yeah, it's Kate's favorite god. So the man of Baal. Oh no, we don't like that. Uh, but then uh, he's uh, he's given the other name, right, Ishbosheth, uh, which means man of shame. Yeah, so, yeah, that's better. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. With nicknames like these, huh? <laughs> right, right. Well, oh, I, I had a great reference from uh, from uh, Princess Bride of Latrine, but I, I don't think we could do that one on the radio. Right. So, probably, yeah. probably for the best. Her name know. was changed from something better. But the, yeah, the, the point is we, we, we see the names used. I, am I wrong in thinking, though, that this is probably not the name that Saul's son would have used? He's probably not calling himself Ishbosheth, right? This is right. This is. Um, you know, he might have called himself Ishbaal, but this the shame moniker, I think, is being substituted probably so that they don't have to utilize the name of Baal, maybe a little, right. maybe a religious aversion, but also sometimes it tells us about the person they're talking about. Right. And, and you have to remember that this, I mean, the word that we're studying, God's word, um, is just that. This is this is the word. Uh, this is it is a historical word, but it is told from the from the perspective of God delivering it to His people, and so they are. You know, these words are going to be delivered uh, with. You know, I, I I don't know if we is this a surprise. There is a bias in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it's written. You know, in terms of. Yahweh, the God of Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's the good guy. Baal, he's the ashamed guy. You know, uh, Paul will go on to talk about the fact that these idols, these these other gods, they don't even exist. Okay, but so yeah, when when the Bible is going to use you know a disparaging word here to describe Ishbosheth, maybe that's what uh, he's called by, um, you know, by the the people of Judah. Maybe that's what he comes to be called. Uh, but yeah. It, that word is is used here. That name, that title, uh, is used for the son of Saul. Um, and so, it's almost, I think, for our benefit that when we see Ishbosheth, and you know, maybe your footnote in your Bible, or you know, uh, you know, um, maybe you've got a study Bible that has a note down at the bottom that says "man of shame," that when we see that, um, that kind of gives us a hint about what's coming, right? Yeah. So, that's that's a handy little thing that the Bible does. I mean, he's us. caused that he's called that for a reason, right? He has, right. <laughs> there's cause for him getting that nickname. Well, there, there's something that stands out to me, and that is a little bit of a discrepancy or an apparent discrepancy. Um, at the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Uh, but wait a minute, Ishbosheth was king for two years. So does 
how do we reconcile this? Was David the only king around for about five years or what? Do you know? Um, I honestly, I, I, when I read, uh, when I looked at the commentaries, I didn't see anything that jumped out off the page about that, but that oh. is a good point. <laughs> um, so you're like, okay, yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think it's significant, super significant, but anytime when we have these discrepancies, right. sometimes the enemy and the accusers like to use it against us. And so it's worth at least so, thinking about for a second. At least taking a stab in the dark, it would be to say that, that, I mean, there were times when there was no king, right? When the next guy hadn't right. just, it wasn't like there was just kind of a revolving door of one king out, one king in. I mean, certainly that does happen. But there are also times when you've got different vying parties. Who's going to who's going to rule us? Who's going to be in charge of us? Um, and especially when the kingdom isn't united yet uh, as a as one Israel, um, there's still kind of these loose tribes. And, yeah, they gave deference to Saul. But now, I mean, are we just going to be our own thing or, you know, Judah's going and doing their own thing? So maybe we'll just be, you know, tribally led by judges for a bit. Um, and I, I don't. It's never really caused me any consternation uh, <laughs> that we've got the two years here of uh, of Ishbosheth, and then we've got uh, Judah following David for another, you know, uh, several years before everything comes together. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it. I think it serves a good a good point for us to remember too is that just because something is separated by a verse or two in the telling of it in Scripture doesn't mean a lot of time has right. not passed. Sure. And, and including the idea that well. Just because someone's king over a region doesn't mean he has the unilateral support of everybody in that region. So there's right. plenty of people, I'm sure, who are under David who thinks that Saul's son should be the primacy. And then there's plenty, plenty more, I would say, people under uh, Ishbosheth that are like, yeah, you know, we, 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 we're, wait, we're ready for David. But, you know, there's only so much you can do. Exactly. I, th I think that's an accurate read of the situation is that there was uh, very likely uh, some chaos during that time. Um, and then things are eventually going to get better until they get worse and then they get better again. But that's another story. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's uh, dig into the next part, starting with verse 12. Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zariah, and the servants of David went out and met them at the pool of Gideon. And they sat down, the one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, Let the young men arise and compete before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. And then they arose and passed over by the number twelve for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, the, the son of Saul, and twelve of the servants of David. And each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword into his opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called Helkath Hazarim, which is at Gibeon. And the battle was very fierce that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Let's take a pause there to unpack what we've just talked about. So yeah, Abner, crazy, right? Abner is the uh, commander of Ishbosheth's side, and sure. we have Joab, the son of Zariah. Zariah is David's sister, and he's the head of David's army. What are they? What what just happened here? What are they recommending? Yeah, it all happened really quick, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right. um, so it seems like they've they've sort of met up in this place, right? Uh, a pool seems like a kind of a. It makes sense. This is not your your neighborhood swimming pool. This is a place where there is uh, still cool water that's good for drinking, good for, you know, stocking up your, your, uh, jugs and everything else. So, uh, they stop and they encounter one another. You've got these two, uh, essentially these two small armies that meet up and, um, 
when they say, let the young men arise and compete before us, uh, the way that I understand this is that um, they're saying almost sort of, and this, remember, this is Abner to Joab. It's, it's not a mutually agreed on thing. Joab comes around, but uh, this is Abner's suggestion because David, after all, and his army under the command of Joab, uh, they are known for being very good at fighting. I think they're David's mighty men, that kind of a deal. Yeah. So um, Abner right. is kind of, he's trying to slow, you know, tap the brakes a little bit. Maybe we can avoid all out battle. Um, let some of these young men arise and compete before us. Let them, let them duke it out. Um, and maybe this is, uh, we'll do it kind of the way that they did things back with the Philistines when Goliath was doing his things. We, instead of having this whole group fight against that whole group, um, let's just get a couple of representatives. You know, they can, they can go ahead and fight each other. Uh, and, you know, we'll kind of see how that, how that turns out. Maybe Abner's hoping that his side is going to pull ahead and then they can be like, you know, do you want some more of this, you know, or, or whatever. Uh, but it winds up just this kind of bloodbath situation. Yeah. I mean, when I, I was prepping for today's uh, show and I reread, you know, I mean, it's been a minute since I've been in second Samuel, just kind of reading through and I said, they arose and, and they each one caught his, his opponent by the head, right? You can just kind of picture that right now, dear listener, you know, grabs him by the head and then thrusts his sword. I mean, they all fell down. You got, 24 dead young men standing there. Wow. That sounds terrible. But then it seems like the battle continues. It sounds like it's not just that the battle was very fierce that day. Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. So it sounds like the fighting uh, was just postponed uh, by this, uh, this 12 on 12 sort of stand in match. Uh, and then it sounds like there was even more fighting after that uh, in which David's, uh, David's uh, army under the command of uh, Joab. Uh, it sounds like they were the victors here. Yeah, and you talked about the, like the incident involving Goliath, and that wasn't uncommon. You know, both yeah. generals would get together and say, you know what, we don't want to engage everybody at the same time. Why don't we just send a couple of champions out, and whoever wins, we'll we'll call it a day. I, but but then I don't remember who my guest was when we first talked about that, but he had some insight that. Even though that was a, a frequent practice, it almost never was abided by. Like, who never often or never was just allowed to go home. It was like, right. okay, now you've killed our champion. We're going to fight you. So yeah, it's sort of you. an unusual <laughs> event. It's it's an attempt at it's a sort of an attempt at diplomacy, and right. it makes you wonder. Maybe we should try that. You know, some of our politicians are are dead bent de on uh, going out there and fighting wars. Just send them to fight with each other, and whoever wins, we'll just say they're the ones who won. I don't know if that's yeah. an appropriate yeah. appropriate yeah, way to know. settle things or not. Yeah, well, I, I tell you what, we're right here at our break, though, so we'll we'll think about that as we take just a few moments to hear some messages. But folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Beck and I will keep on going through the Battle of Gibeon. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. 
To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me this morning is the Reverend Dustin Beck, pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Folks, don't worry. If you miss an episode of Thy Strong Word on the radio, you can always catch up by subscribing to the program on your favorite podcasting app. Or even better, you can download the KFUO radio mobile app. You can listen live or on demand also at kfuo.org. And if you want to share your thoughts or questions with me, I'm happy to hear from you. You can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com, or you can find me on Facebook. Okay, Pastor Beck, before the break, we were just getting into the Battle of uh, Gibeon, and it, it begins really with this, you know, we're going to send 12 guys out there. They're going to fight each other. We'll see who prevails. And, and the, at least the way it's told, it, it's it's almost like they all instantly killed each other at the same time. So I just imagine them rushing upon each other and then everybody just falling straight to the ground. And, and I wonder if that is not, uh, I don't know if the word omen is appropriate, but if that's mm-hmm. not uh, a, a message from the Lord even to say, this fighting of brother against brother is is not going to prevail ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that you're definitely onto something there because there is just this kind of, this idea that the the violent, you know, that they're, they're going to live by violence and they're going to die by violence. And we're going to see that as the chapter continues to unfold in front of us. Um, there's There's got to be peace. There's got to be something on the other side of that where there's agreement and concord and, and brotherly love, um, which again, for the Christian listener or reader, um, that points us to Jesus, who is the the Prince of Peace, Jesus who comes to usher in uh, peace on uh, Easter evening when he says to his disciples, peace be with you. And we just don't see it here. So this is this is a grisly kind of chapter. We should have started the, the episode off with sort of a, uh, a warning for anybody, you know, um, <laughs> who's going to walk through the rest of this with us, because it's it gets kind of it gets worse. You know, you got these 12, 12 on 12. Uh, they're all struck down. And you got more fighting and everything, but we're not done yet. We got more to go. No. Uh, so uh, buckle up, dear listeners, uh, especially if you're driving. That's very important. But, uh, <laughs> it's always we've important. Got, we've got driving. a lot to. Yeah. Well, we got a lot to discuss here because um, we got more violence. more violence. Well, here we go then. Verse 18. Mm-hmm. And the three sons of Zariah were there, Joab, Abishai and Asahel. Now, Asahel was a swift of foot as a wild gazelle, and Asahel pursued Abner. And as he went, he turned neither to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him, and he said, Is it you, Asahel? And he answered, It is I. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left, and seize one of the young men and take his spoil. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again to Asahel, Turn again from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? But he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear, so that the spear came out at his back. And he fell there and died where he was, 
and all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. Uh, pausing there at the end of 23, I'd stand still too. He he hits him with the yeah. butt of his spear and it goes all the way through. I, are those known for being sharp? I don't think so. That's I mean, the, the I, butt I of my spear so. certainly isn't. No, the one I have is uh, pretty dull. So I, I but it just yeah. shows the test to the, the violence of this wound, though, right? I right. mean, I don't, I wonder though, does that, I mean, he could have hit him with the sharp part of his steer. So maybe, maybe Abner wasn't trying to kill him. I mean, you could, you could certainly say maybe he was exercising some restraint whenever he struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear. Um, but at the same time, he, he does so with, with enough force that the spear comes out at his back, which seems, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the blunt force of that is just, uh, that's crazy. You know, I mean, I, yeah, it'd be hard to convince a jury that. Right. Exactly. There, you, there you go. But I mean, this, these, uh, several verses as they unfold in front of us, I mean, aren't they just, doesn't this sound like the strangest thing, right? So we've got, uh, like you mentioned, uh, Zeruiah, uh, David's sister, she got three sons, Joab, um, Abishai and then Azahel. Okay. These three guys, Joab's the commander of the army. And then you've got Abishai and you've got Azahel. And, um, so this guy, Azahel, he's going to chase after Abner. He's going to pursue him. He's not going to be deterred. That's uh, deterred. That's what these, he never, he turned neither to the right hand or to the left. And Abner's trying to give him a way out. Hey, is that you? Are you chasing me? Right. Um, and he goes, yep, it's me. Why is he chasing Abner? Well, because if you get Abner out of the way, and, and this is this is the way that I understand this, is that, I mean, he's working, he's doing what Joab would want him to do, Azahel is, uh, which is if we take care of Abner, then all of a sudden Ishbosheth doesn't have an army anymore, and all of a sudden David gets to be king over everybody. Is that kind of how you read this as well? Yeah, I mean, I would say so too, especially with the things that follow. So I, I think that yeah. he's he's saying, listen, if I take out, if I knock out the head. Not yeah. quite all the way up to the king, of course, but yeah, absolutely. No, and, and I and I think there's also a desire on both sides to not fight. That's what really comes through for me. Okay, sure. Because you yeah. have them gather, and they're like, let's not fight. Let's just send some champions out, and that ends terribly. Yeah. And then you have um, Asahel chasing after um, Abner, and Abner doesn't want to fight, right? I, I don't want to kill you. Why should I strike you to the ground? Yeah. Because how am I going to look, lift up my face to your brother Joab? But here's, I think, what's lost. Joab is the general of David's armies. Abner right. is the general of Ishbosheth's armies. Why would they be concerned about each other? Why would Abner care what Joab thinks? And I think because ultimately these are brothers, brothers in nationality, brothers yeah, sure. uh, in, in Yahweh, brothers in in um in what will be a unified nation eventually. So I like in a lot of these particular battles, as opposed to the battles against the Philistines, exactly. more akin to the Civil War. Yeah. And you have right. brother fighting against brother. And you're trying to figure out, you know, who's going to come on top, who's going to be, you know, who's going to be the guy. Um, and I mean, these, I, I don't want to make it sound like, I don't want to make it sound like it's insignificant, whether David or Ishbosheth is going to be the king because I mean, for these, for these individuals, I mean, this is, 
this is the direction of their entire nation, their entire people. Uh, and th- so they're, they're taking these things very seriously. But like you said, I mean, when they, when they both show up at that pool a couple of verses ago, I think Abner and Joab both want, you know, Hey, listen, we're going to sit down. We're going to have these young men duke it out. And then, you know, when your team loses, they would both be thinking to themselves, uh, you can go ahead and just say, all right, you've, you know, God is clearly on your team. Uh, therefore, you know, you should, you know, you know, I should, I should, you know, lay down my arms and I should follow David or follow Ishbosheth. That I think that's what Abner and Joab are thinking at that point. Um, and here, yeah, I mean, Abner doesn't want it, doesn't want to fight on these terms. He certainly doesn't want to, um, you know, to do, um, this kind of injury to Joab. I mean, killing a literal blood brother of someone, I mean, he has to know what's, what's going to happen next. Right. Yeah. They're, um, he's and definitely he concerned about the reprisal. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And yet he still, you know, does not use the restraint, does not, um, you know, keep the butt of his spear from coming out of the man's back. And then we're wound up with, uh, with this, this violence, this, this, this murder. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still feel that by using that blunted end of the spear rather than the sharp part that he feels like he's, I, I don't know, or at the very least feels like he'll have some defense that he wasn't trying to kill him or I, I, Obviously, we can't so maybe get into we'll their say brain. It's manslaughter, <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. That's right. It's negligent manslaughter. You should have done it differently. But you a know, thing the other happened thing and though, the guy died. There you go. <laughs> but the thing, the problem though, is that not only is he worried about the reprisal, and you talked about the literal, you know, blood brother, which makes sense. Um, but then when he Ash um, Ash Hale Asahale rather dies, it says that he died where he was, which makes sense. And then all who came to the place stood still. I think we could quickly go right into what happens next, and we will here in just a second. But the people are shocked at the death of their leader. They're surprised at this really strange way that he dies. I guess they have to take it in to think, you know, is this going to be successful? I mean, the the whole reason they're out there is because David has been given the go-ahead by Yahweh to head on out. And it's like, but wait a minute, we're dying. Right. I think that, you know, maybe this is, I, I don't know. Let me, let me try this one out. The fact that Azahel, that he is named, right? I don't want to minimize uh, the 12 young men or those who just kind of seem to to die in the battle of verse 17 that was fierce when uh, Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. I don't want to minimize their deaths at all. But the fact that Azahel, that he is tied, that he is linked to David, I mean, that brings things into sharp focus. The, the people are, are shocked that, you know, and I, I'm sure, like I said, that every one of the, the 12, you know, on each side that died and those others, I'm sure that they had families and that people knew their names, et cetera. But, but here when, when a member of, the, of David's family, right, when his nephew Azahel falls in death, all of a sudden it becomes, oh, we've just, you've, you know, Abner, you've crossed a line. You've made this personal. Now, all of a sudden, it's not just about, you know, your team, my team, but now all of a sudden you've come after um, the the nephew of the anointed by God one. And so I think that's where just the violence is going to continue to ratchet up. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a sad thing the way that this uh, is going to unfold. But um, we see that God is working even through the midst of this uh, to bring about his plan, his will uh, that David would sit on the throne. Um so yeah, we got a lot going on here. This is this is a good rich chapter. Lots of lots of text in front of us yet. 
That's right. Well, 30, uh, 23 rather ends with these words, and all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. Continuing, but Joab and Abishai pursued Abner, and as the sun was going down, they came to the hill of Ammah, which lies before Gia on the way to the wilderness of Gibeon. And the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group and took their stand on the top of a hill. Then Abner called to Joab, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that the end will be bitter? How long will it be before you tell your people to turn from the pursuit of their brothers? And Joab said, As God lives, if you had not spoken, surely the men would not have given up the pursuit of their brothers until the morning. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the men stopped and pursued Israel no more, nor did they fight anymore. And that's the end of 28. So Joab, Abishai, Abishai is pursuing after Abner, right? They don't give it up. They just killed a brother. And um, Abner uh, basically appeals to them, right? Let's quit fighting each other. But, and they right. do. So take a, you know, what's going on? Well, I think what's going on here is that Abner has, uh, even though he, uh, you know, even though he, uh, he did strike a a mortal blow, even though he got a, he got his lick in, right? Um, more often than not, he's finding that his army is on the short end of the, of the equation, right? More often than not. And he, I think he understands, um, just like they did back in the book of first Samuel, right? That Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Um, David's army is a force to be reckoned with. And so it makes sense that he would that he would reach out and, and uh, appeal for peace. Um, shall the sword devour forever? Maybe at this point he realizes that um, if the crosshairs weren't firmly fixed on him before he killed Azahel, well, now they absolutely are fixed on him now, you know, and we, we had, we had assumed sort of that, that Azahel he's chasing so that he can take Abner out of the equation. Uh, but now, you know, you can, you can double the bounty on Abner. And so, it makes a little bit of sense just from a practical standpoint that he's going to appeal for peace. Yeah. It's, it's time to go ahead and, uh, and make peace. Let's, let's find a way that we can get along, right? Um, go ahead and, and, and back off, please. Um, Joab is going to relent. Didn't see that coming, right? That's a little bit of a shock to right. us. Um, Abner gets through to him perhaps. <laughs> but then he, he relents, but he says, as God lives, if you hadn't said anything, Surely the men would not have given up the pursuit of their brothers until the morning. Um, that's it's, it's phrased kind of strangely. I, I, if you had not spoken, is that referring to the words that he just spoke from atop the hill? Or is that referring to if you hadn't have way back in earlier in the chapter, obviously they're not thinking in those terms, oh, but yeah. if you hadn't have previously said, hey, let's fight it out with, a, with 12 of each of our guys— this this wouldn't be happening at all. So uh, it's an interesting question. I would read it really just as uh, this this last response in verses uh, verse twenty six uh, that Abner when he calls out uh, because look at the rest of the sentence. He says, uh, you know, surely the men would not have given up the pursuit of their brothers until morning. He's like, we we were going to chase you, but then you spoke, and in your speaking, we are going to relent. He's going to blow his trumpet here in just a minute. Okay. Well, um, and, and, and sure, go ahead. I, oh, I can say, I just want to interject. I, I agree with that in terms of, and that's why I said it's strangely written because 
And of course, they're not inspired, but Kyle Dalich yeah. translates it. If thou hast not spoken, the people would have gone away in the morning, every one of them from his brother. Oh, so the way he translates it is if back. you hadn't have challenged us to this single combat, we huh. wouldn't have been there at all. And thus throwing all the blame of it on top of Abner. Um, yeah. And then it kind of connects back to the fact that perhaps Joab didn't really want to do any of this at all. It was Abner who brought it all up. Uh, and then he gives some, obviously some good Hebrew evidence for why his is right. Some good but, Hebrew <laughs> I like but, that. <laughs> but reading just, the, reading just the, the English translation of the ESV, though, I tend to agree with you. It's like, you know what? If you hadn't said anything, then we would just keep on going. So if it is that second thing, then what is it that he's spoken that he, that he has spoken that caused Joab? Is it the appeal about the brothers? Like, you know, yeah. if it's the second thing, it's like, hey, if you hadn't have said anything, we'd have kept going. If you hadn't have turned around and told us to stop, we would have kept going. Well, why does that stop you? So it must be something yes. in what he said. So if it's the way the ESV presents it, then we have to, I think, figure out what's so important about what for he sure. said. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a little bit different for sure, um, and especially I mean because Joab introduces this this sentence with "as God lives," I mean this is an oath statement, right? Sure. Um, as, as surely as God is living, as surely as there's a God in heaven, if you wouldn't have spoken, um, the men would not have given up pursuit of their brothers until the morning, or yeah, they would not have taken up pursuit. Yeah, um, so I I do think that he blames Abner for this. I mean, I, I think that that's the way that it is uh, in any military conflict, right? You, you are according to your office as a general, you are supposed to um, to be out for the blood of your enemy. Their 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 goal is in opposition to yours. The fact that Abner calls out, the fact that Abner um, points out this bitter ending. You know, maybe he's maybe he's looking for an opportunity to search out peace. Maybe he's looking for an opportunity to say, let's let's maybe Joab's hoping that, you know, OK, we'll stop chasing. Are you ready to lay down your sword? Are you ready to, to join Team David? I wish they would have called it Team David. Wouldn't that have been great? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So shall this shall the sword devour forever? You know, again, we've we've talked about this already in the show. Uh, the fact that living by violence means that we're all going to die by violence. And I think that there is a time uh, when counting the cost, you know, Jesus talks about counting the cost, counting the cost in terms of human lives, um, that does sort of, uh, it comes into clearer focus for these generals. Um, and so they see it and they just say, listen, I mean, like you've been pointing out, Pastor Boo, all show, you know, these are brothers. Yeah, they're from different tribes, but uh, first, the, before they were tribes, those were, tribes were brothers. So we're, we're kinsmen here. Um, are we sure that we can't lay down our swords and, and check this out? So maybe, you know, he's, uh, he, he hits right at the right spot of Joab's conscience. Maybe it's mm -hmm. right in the spot where Joab feels like, um, maybe the point has been made. Maybe it is time for us to tap the brakes a little bit and see what becomes of this, where all of this is headed. Um, and maybe Joab has just that, that knowledge that says, Hey, if this comes back to fighting, we're going to be all right. That's kind of the well, let's read what happened. Joab. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, let's read what happens next. So the end of the chapter, so this is going to be 29 through 32. And Abner and his men went all night through the Arabah. They crossed the Jordan, and marching the whole morning, they came to Mahanaim. 
Joab returned from the pursuit of Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing from David's servants nineteen men besides Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin three hundred and sixty of Abner's men, and they took up Asahel and buried him in the tomb of his father, which was at Bethlehem. And Joab and his men marched all night, and the day broke upon them at Hebron. So they've made their way back home. Um, but it seems like when they were back home and they were counting the score, um, I, I can't say one, right? They didn't win because they're killing their own brothers. But at the same time, they were more effective uh, than the yeah. other side. I think Team David came out on top of this one for sure. That's right. Team <laughs> Beloved versus Team Man of Shame. I'm not man sure. Of shame. It's like like naming a racehorse something like, you know, Glue Factory. Yeah. You don't want <laughs> you know who's going to lose. But right, anyway, uh, yeah, David um, is beloved by the Lord, beloved by his people. Uh, Ishbosheth is falling after the he's his legacy is Saul, which is not great. Um, and here, I don't think either side genuinely wants the battles. Perhaps Ishbosheth does. Perhaps some of the generals do. But I really right. don't think that the people want to fight. Yeah, I, I think that the the desired outcome from from David, from Judah, from Joab's perspective, uh, is not that there would be violence, but that they would come together, that there would be um, a reconciliation, that they would simply um, not just bow down to David, but that they would submit themselves to the will of Yahweh. Okay, um, Yahweh had anointed David through Samuel so many years ago, and now it's time for it's it's David's time. Okay, uh, it's time for for the house to return, or the um, not just the house, but the 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 throne to return to the house of Judah. Where, I mean, going all the way back to Genesis at the end, uh, the promise was given to Judah that the scepter, the rule, would not depart from his hand. So. Saul, even though he was the king, he was something of an aberration. He was a, an exception, not the rule. That's a, There should be someone from Judah's tribe sitting on the throne over David, because that's the way that God promised this would all work out. So uh, you, you pointed out the the difference in the you know the score or whatever when they get back. Uh, they they had ceased their fighting. Abner is uh, still perhaps afraid of what's going to happen when the morning gets here. So they travel. They go all through the night. They go back to uh, Mahanaim. Uh, they're going to go back to Ishbosheth and and kind of lick their wounds, report back what happened and everything else. Um, Joab and his army, when they go back, they're going to find 19 missing and then Azahel as well. But of those 19, I think 12 of them perished in that initial skirmish, mm -hmm. wouldn't you say? <laughs> I would say so too, so, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they lost seven soldiers in the course of this battle and pursuit and everything else. I mean, this is maybe why Joab is, he's not in much of a hurry. Uh, he doesn't need to pursue. Y you go home, you know, you, you see how you fared, Abner, and we'll go home and see how we fared, Okay, uh, and so when they get back, and I don't want to spoil uh, tomorrow's guests' show, but the first no, verse is going to tell us what's happening. I mean, this is this is going to lay it out for us. It was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. David grew stronger and stronger. The house of Saul became weaker and weaker. So, right. I mean, we we already sort of knew this was going to happen because apparently um, Yahweh has been on Team David for a long time as well, but. It's it's finally coming into that um, it's coming into the final innings of 
of David sitting on the throne, of David ultimately sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, which is going to happen, you know, a couple of years into David's reign. But all of those uh, those pieces are falling into place so that God's will will be done, um, and so that there will be not only David sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, uh, which will be uh, the place where Yahweh established, establishes his peace with the people, uh, but ultimately the place where the temple will be. Um, all of that is falling into place, uh, and you just see uh, today's episode was sort of um, it was moving in that direction, that gradual, long, slow path as God works through history uh, to bring people into his fold. Um, I think that's a good way to kind of summarize what's going on in front of us. Yeah, I think that's great. And we're at the end of our final ending here for the, oh, for the program. So I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Dustin Beck. He's the pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Brother, thanks for being on the show. My great pleasure. Thank you for having me. Folks, tomorrow, when we come back together, Abner, right, the loyal general of Saul's house, will defect to David, right? Talk about giving something away. After a quarrel with Ishbosheth, uh, that's, of course, who we've been talking about, Saul's weak son and heir. And Abner negotiates with David to unite all of Israel under his rule, but he still faces the wrath of Joab, David's general. And he will fall victim to Joab's revenge and die by the sword, right? Spoiler alert. David laments for Abner, but he also honors Abner as a prince and a great man of Israel. Come join us tomorrow and see how all of that plays out and how all the pieces continue to come together as we're working toward uh, God's resolution of this divided kingdom. Until tomorrow then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.